Welcome back to the Spock the Week archives. I'm one of your hosts, JJ the Albert Android, and if you're new to the podcast, welcome, and if you are joining us once again, glad to see you back. Each week in Season 1, we are bringing you our archived episodes from our YouTube channel in podcast form, so you can listen to us on the go, however you like, wherever you like. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Hi, this is Sean Ferrick from Trek Culture. You are listening to Spock the Week podcast. Welcome everybody to another episode of Spock of the Week. As always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Gregor Cameron. And for the first time ever, we have our very first American on the show, all the way from Central Arkansas, Mr. Dan Decker. Welcome, sir. Hi, welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, live long and prosper. Thanks for uh, letting me be on the show. I'm looking forward to this. Well, good to have you on and the show. As... So, um, Dan, for those of you uh, at home who have uh, never heard of Dan Decker before, please, would you like to explain who you are, what you do, if you've got anything you would like to plug? Uh, as you said, my name is Dan Decker. Uh, on uh, Twitter, I'm uh, uh, Commodore Decker, uh, at D-A-N-D-E-C-K-R. Um, and I do a few things, um, uh, as well as host my own show, uh, Bad Choices in Bourbon. Um, so those are a couple things going on, and that is uh, at Bourbon Bad on Twitter. You can find that there. Um, and uh, that's about it, you know, other than getting on as many shows like this as I possibly can. Very well worth a check out, guys. So, um, yes, uh, today's show is our final installment of the movie segments. This one's a very interesting one because we have with us today a somebody who loves the J.J. Abrams films and somebody who doesn't really like the Abrams films. And I bet you can't guess who that is. <laughs> so, oh, uh, Dan, Dan's enjoying this already. He's, uh, he's, he's, <laughs> he's going to be... I think I know which way the evening's going already. So. <laughs> oh, Gregor, behave yourself. You haven't got Sarah to keep you in check this week. <laughs> and, um, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, four followers that have managed to join us yet again. Thank you. Maybe we'll make five for the next episode. Who knows? Let's get started. We're going to start off with the 2009 film. So we'll be back in just a few ticks to discuss that. So don't go away. <laughs> The 2009 Star Trek films. Much loved, or much hated, or much maligned. Doesn't matter what camp you're in, guys. We're here to have a little bit of fun with this. So, Dan Decker, as is a tradition here on Spock of the Week, we are going to throw you right into the deep end. You are here to promote the 2009 films. You're here sure, to say absolutely. yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, the floor is yours. 2009 oh. film, Star Trek. What's what's good Fantastic. about it? Let's see it. Well, you know, first of all, as a as a coach driver, you are here to literally throw me right under the bus uh, just to get started. Um, and so I can remember back to first of all, you know, the 2009 film came along uh, after a bit of a dearth in Trek production since um, Enterprise left uh, in 2005. We didn't have anything really until uh, you know we started this new journey. Uh, in the Kelvin timeline. And the hype around the 2009 film was very palpable. Um, and I got really excited about it. I followed along, a lot uh, along on trekmovie.com, which was, um, you know, Twitter wasn't quite what it was then what it is now. 
And so uh, that was the way to get the info, right? You went to Trek Movie, kind of kept up with the rumors, saw what was going on. Um, and so I got super uh, excited about it. Uh, you know, I was on Facebook then, uh, and I, you know, updated my profile pictures with images from the movie. I had the Phaser app on my phone to play with. Um, and it was just exciting uh, to be, you know, excited about Star Trek again. Uh, and then once the film came along and I got a chance to go see it, I felt like it was really well done. There were a lot of things in it that were kind of over the top, you know, and there's a lot about it um, that you kind of have to just suspend disbelief to enjoy. Uh, but the opening sequence was just punchy right out of the gate. Um, you got, you know, I felt like you could go into that not knowing anything really about Trek uh, and have a good time. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of, of setup uh, and it really kind of wasn't needed. Um, and I've met a few people whom, you know, this is the Star Trek that got them into Star Trek. Uh, and with that one thing alone, uh, a young man I used to work with, um, you know, I was mentioning something about, it, he said, oh, I love Star Trek. And you could tell he was like genuinely excited to talk to me about Trek. And I was like, oh yeah, what's your favorite? And he said, well, I've only seen the new movies, the, the, the three new movies. And I said, well, man, that is great. Uh, I feel like they're great films. And he was one of the first people I'd ever met who that was their only Star Trek. Um, and I thought that's a pretty fascinating thing. Uh, he was young, you know, he's not even uh, 21 yet at the time. So, you know, he's super young uh compared to me <laughs> and uh um and so it was really refreshing to have that alternative perspective um as to what your first star trek was you know mine being something along the lines of like devil in the dark and i'm all time and then seeing you know uh, uh the wrath of khan in cinema when i was seven um so a whole different you know uh, onboarding process for Star Trek then as it is uh, for this young man. So that's a really good point. Um, but I thought the casting was really well done. Yes. Um, you know, Chris Pine is, is he has the swagger. Um, he kind of just bleeds a little bit of Kirk. Um, Zachary Quinto, I think out of all of them was probably the weakest. Um, and even he was really good. Uh, and the fact that, uh, you know, Leonard Moyes said he did a really good job is, is pretty weighty. Um, and then, but Carl Urban as McCoy is just, he's just so good in that role. Um, really well done. Uh, and, you know, in, in, in speaking of him in roles that he reprised, if you haven't seen uh, him in Dread, uh, seriously, check that out. Also, it's, it's a good film. He's in it and he does a really good job. Uh, rehashing that. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we get a then relatively unknown Chris Hemsworth as Kirk's dad. And who else could birth Kirk than Thor? You know? <laughs> so that's, that's, I guess that would be my opening statement about the 2009 film. Um, and then uh, Bruce, Bruce Greenwood as Pike uh, was a really strong character. Um, uh, we'll get to it, but he, you know, he got, uh, he got murked in uh, the second one. And I really, uh, I really don't like that. I thought we missed out on opportunity with that character. Um, but what we got of him in um, Trek 09 was, uh, was a solid show. One of the things that uh, was, I remember when I first or heard they were coming out was the storyline behind it. The, the whole black hole changing the timeline 
sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, what's the storyline to you on this one? I was okay at the time going either way. Give me a fresh reboot. I don't, you know, tell me it's in an alternate timeline. That's fine. You know, we have the mirror universe. It's already established that parallelism is something that exists in Trek. Um, but you know, they, they chose to find a way to tie it to what we already knew. Um, and yet make a clean break, um, which on the one hand is really fantastic because we got to see a modern fresh take on what star trek would be um if it were thought anew today um and that is you know i think that and and you know that's a point of contention again uh with the modern trek we're getting uh now um and these modern production values and techniques and and storytelling techniques that are used in trek today um don't set well with a lot of folks uh, but we did, you know, we got a clean slate. We got a chance to see uh, a new look at the Enterprise. Um, that is maybe my, I don't know, it's a number three Enterprise design for me. Uh, the refit Constitution is the most beautiful starship that's ever been. Um, the Disco Prize is pretty on that one. <laughs> that's okay. That's <laughs> totally fair. Uh, but the Disco Prize is a pretty solid entry and, you know, um, but yeah, I thought it was, you know, I read the countdown comics. I have the countdown comics that kind of lead up into that, um, you know, and, you know, their canonicity is always, you know, fluid because it's comic books. Um, but, it, you know, it gives you a little background if you're an original, you know, Trekkie Trekker. Um, but for fresh eyes, I think is a great way to, to introduce. And then you might be interested in who is this old Spock guy and what's that about and go look that up and then find that whole vast uh, universe of pre-existing Trek out there already so i, I could have went either way though but i i don't disagree with what they did fantastic so gregor you might want to strap in for this one uh dan um, <laughs> that's fine it's totally fine. How, how right do you want i'm, I'm, I'm going to try and not right okay uh, let's uh, let's let's just uh, keep it concise um okay first off let me just qualify a couple of things um trick is epic in terms of the scale of the Trek universe now. Okay, are we on? What are we on? Five or six TV series now, mm -hmm. um, and hopefully fourteen films uh, in the near future. Okay, so there's a massive universe there, and there's different types of Trek from DS9 to the original series to TNG to Voyager to Enterprise. They all they all have their own types of story that they tell. And those types of settings. So I think it's impossible to like all Trek or love all Trek equally. Um, you, you just can't do that. And I, I'll, I'll say that like most, I like most Trek. Some Trek I absolutely love. I wouldn't be wearing this uniform if I didn't. Uh, unfortunately, the films don't come into that category. The JJ films don't come into that category for me. My experience leading up to the films was somewhat different from yours, Dan. I was a big Trek at the time, but I wasn't following too much on Facebook or indeed Twitter for that matter. Um, and the I tend not to follow an awful lot of, still tend not to follow an awful lot of the rumours that come through. I'd rather, you know, I'll, I'll catch up some things, but I'd rather just make my own decision once I've watched it. What I will say is, when I did go to see the film, Sarah and partner and myself, we went to see it in the IMAX in Glasgow, so we saw it the way it was meant to be seen. And did I enjoy it when I seen it? Yeah, I did enjoy it. I'd be a liar if I said I didn't enjoy it. However, what I found as a recurring theme with all three films, but 
speaking specifically about the first one is it just did not stand up to a second view. I agree with you on a couple of things. I think the opening scene is great. I think the writing in the opening scene is great. I think it's fantastic to see a young Chris Hemsworth getting his first big part. And I mean, albeit only for five minutes, but it was a pretty major part in the movie. It's a, you know, so major we're talking about bringing it back for the fourth film. So, yeah, you know, there, there's stuff there. You know, it, it was emotional, it was dramatic, and it was all those things. Unfortunately, in a second view, and that's the only scene in the movie that stands up to speak to me for me. Another thing I would agree with you to an extent is the choice of casting. Um, I think Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, um, Cam Logan, and the Baldi, those three in particular, have the mannerisms and the body language and the look of the original characters. I think Pine does a great job of playing Shatner playing Kirk, if you like. Um, I'm less enthused about the actual characterization of those characters, but in terms of the, the aesthetics of their appearance and the mannerisms, I do think it works. And I think maybe that might be what's behind your Zachary Quinto comics. I don't think he plays Spock to anywhere near the degree of success that uh, Leonard Nimoy did. Leonard Nimoy always said it was all about having the emotions underneath the surface. Um, whereas sometimes when I watch Zachary Quinto, a lot of the mannerisms are there, but I just feel sometimes you know, you're just being too smart. You know, the, the, the scene in, when he's turning down the, uh, the Vulcan Academy and a lot of the comics that he makes on the bridge is just too smart. Whereas when um, in the original series when Fox uh, said something smart, you felt it really was coming from some sort of logical conclusion and he was getting away with it. <laughs> You know, but I, 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 I don't think the characterization of, of Spock is carried out in, in that sense. And then I'm going to nitpick now. Let's be honest, you can nitpick just about every single, well, you can nitpick every single episode and you can nitpick every single film. But how much nitpicking you do, I think, varies on how much you love the episode. On the film. If you like mm -hmm. it, they get away with murder. If you don't <laughs> like it, it spoils the movie for you. And I think there's a few things that spoil the movie, certainly in the second view. The, the stuff where they find Scotty on the planet and the, the transport and the, the Enterprise has been at warp speed for hours or possibly even days um, and they managed to beam aboard it and um, things like that. Spock watching the destruction of Vulcan um, and Vulcan's bigger than the moon on this planet where he's watching this. But, it, you know, again, before they transported um, Kirk down to that planet on the torpedo uh, thing when they exited them from the, the Enterprise. The Enterprise had been travelling for hours at multiple warp speed chasing Nero's ship. So how close was this planet? You know, that, this is what I mean about the, the nitpicks really starting to grind with, with you if you don't enjoy the film. Um, <laughs> and the whole time aspect, you know, Nero instead of you know, he's transported back in time, has a golden opportunity to stop what's happening and decides what he's going to do instead is blow up Vulcan. <laughs> what's that about? Um, yes, I, I, could, I could stop what's going to happen, but no, I really want to rub this dog's nose in it. You know, it's like... Revenge! Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so... Yeah, that's... And those are all fair criticisms, no doubt. Um, it is... It is without, uh, I think without regret, a very popcorn film. Um, but you're not wrong about where the story doesn't stand up. Um, but again, being that it's Star Trek, um, it's, still, it's still a load of fun. The bits that are really good are really good. Maybe that's why I liked it when I see that in the cinema. Yeah, well, you had popcorn. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm going to uh, basically, um, I'm going to give this one uh, to Dan. Uh, I'm going to give one tick for Dan on this one. So uh, the reason for that is that, to be fair, Gregor, you did agree with a lot of his points. Um, so, um, well, but you didn't. Back. You, you <laughs> yeah. It's a best of three, you know. Yes, so. it's a best of three. So <laughs> the storyline is really good. It does set them up for a new, whole new world of stories and, and character development. I don't quite agree with the whole, as we progress through the films, the whole sort of spock Ahura relationship. Listen, don't steal my thunder. We're coming on. I'm not going to steal your thunder. It's okay. <laughs> as Mrs. Delphire would say, calm down, dear. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll not say anything else on that one, but uh, yeah, f for me, I, I agree with Gregor's uh, nitpicks about certain plot, uh, sort of perspective shortfalls I think is a good way to describe it you know um but I think the storyline was great I think everything was great about it apart from JJ Abrams seems to have this thing with lens flare but I'm sure Gregor will, will talk about that more as we go into the next one so we're just going to take a, a very short break uh, and we'll get into the second film so the 2009 films are winning at the moment thanks to Dan keep up the good work Sam we'll be back in just two ticks Right, welcome back. Uh, so the second film in the 2009, well, I say 2009, the J.J. Abrams films, Into Darkness. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, where do we start on this one? At the beginning. Uh, yes, that would be a good start. <laughs> yes. Um, um, well, seeing as Dan went first on the last one, Gregor, let's get you out of the system. Where do you start? And not at the beginning. <laughs> Just where do you start with this, honestly? Okay. Um, a selection of two, some two-word phrases. Lens player, prime direct, stalker dealer. It just, I could go on. It's unbelievable. Uh, okay, so for however much kudos um, JJ had from the first one, whether you liked it or not, you have to acknowledge and I don't like it as they just you have to as they just established you have to acknowledge that they had a blank canvas with this one. They changed the timeline, they more or less justified it. There's aspects of the story which I really don't like from the first movie, but otherwise the concept uh, behind how they changed the timeline was largely sound in science fiction storytelling terms. Okay. So they had a blank canvas. And then what JJ did was he took a massive turd in his hand and then rubbed that turd all over the can. What was the point in having a brand new timeline if you're going to remake one of the old movies and then do it badly? I honestly do not know where to begin with. Um, to say I'm disappointed would be an understatement. It's like there's, there is nothing that isn't does it involve creative bankruptcy? He steals the story from Nicholas Meyer and Hart Bennett. Okay, decides to be creative and change a couple of things. Well, let's not have any spot bang, let's make it cut. The storytelling goes at 100 miles an hour. There's ridiculous stuff, things that happen in the story. Cut gets the, the Enterprise taken off him. Five minutes later, he's in a meeting and Pike gets killed and he's back as captain again. So, what was the consequence? You know, what, what was the long term consequence of taking it off? He dies, and then five minutes later, finds the triple blood, triple blood, another two, super blood, another uh, two-word phrase that applies to this movie that has no credibility whatsoever. Um, you know, five minutes later, he's alive again. 
um, why, you know, advanced torpedoes with cryo chambers in them? Where's the explosives? You know, can uh, an Indian, can Munian Singh, an Indian, played by a, an English white middle class public school boy? It's, what's going on? Seriously, what is what's going on? Section thirty one. Section thirty one. Section thirty one. We've got DS nine in the background, right? Section thirty one. Agent Sloan used to turn up in Julian's bedroom, not knowing where he came from, and disappear. Section thirty one suddenly had got some kind of shipyard of Jupiter who'd have built ships ten times the size of the Enterprise, and they're doing it in, in the open, and then they're crashing them into San Francisco, and then for some reason. Spock loses the head again for the second time. They've got no imagination to Spock. He just goes from uh, logical smarmy git to punching the shite out of whoever's annoyed him. And he's on <laughs> top of this land speeder, speeding across San Francisco, having a, a fisticuffs with Khan. Since when was that a thing in Star Trek? You know, and, and something a fight that wasn't done as good as the Marvel movies, I might add as well. And then Ahura's there. Ahura, okay, let's give Ahura a bigger part. Ahura didn't have a big enough part in the first one. She was a perfectly good officer, but never really contributed much to the, the bigger stories or have a bigger part beyond, you know, communications. Thing. So let's give her a bigger part in the films. Our bigger part in the films involves being back chatting cut and fighting with her boyfriend. It's, I could go on, but I feel damaged to say something. <laughs> Well, that's very, that's very noble of you letting Dan actually have a say in this, because I was like, um, I thought I was going to have to put a muzzle on you there for a second. <laughs> well, um, is there actually anything left to say, Dan? Because I don't know if he's left you much of a bone to chew on there. Well, so, um, he's not wrong. Uh, every bit of what he said has merit, because um, those are glaring and, and um, you know, mistakes. Uh, honestly, let's be honest. Um, like he said, I wouldn't quite go so far as to say he smeared a turd all over it, but we definitely missed an opportunity. I mean, one simple line of dialogue would change everything, and that is for we not to say I'm Khan. I mean, John Harrison what was, wrong was with John Harrison? <laughs> yeah, he was fine. He was more interesting before, quote, the reveal. And to that reveal, I went in there hoping against hope, believing against belief that it was not going to be what we got, that it was not going to be a con reveal because that did, that bored me before I even went and saw the film. And I shit you not, I sat down, I opened Twitter and one of my friends that I've known since we were 12, I happened to read the tweet where he spoiled it for me right as I was sitting down to watch a stupid movie. Um, and I learned then and forever to never open Twitter. Uh, but um, no, the 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 twist was not twisty, and it was much more interesting when he was just a unique character, and it fit better. Um, and you could have done away with, you know, you don't need the uh, his motivation doesn't have to be the seventy-two cryogenically frozen family members. It can be something completely else. Um, there are a lot of elements of the story that work in either context. Um, and so, you know, there was an opportunity to create an entirely different villain um, and, and give us something new to chew on. But much like 
the much maligned Star Trek V, there are a lot of really solid character moments in this film. Uh, and I think to Gregor's point, we miss a lot of it or we don't get to savor a lot of it because the pace and the scope is so immense, right? The pace is too fast and they tried to build too big a picture. Um, but they're, you know, um, the, uh, when, when Sulu takes command, Oh man, I uh, that's a sweet moment where he's like, you know, I have 72 highly advanced warheads trained on your location, uh, you know, and if you tempt me, uh, you know, do not test me, you will fail. That's a great moment, and John Cho played it fantastically. Um, you know, the the moments, any moment we got with Chekhov, uh, uh, Anton Yelchin as Chekhov uh, was gold, um, and it was played over the top to great effect, I think. Uh, but you get that moment with with uh, Sulu. Uh, there are some really touching moments with um, with uh, uh, you know, despite the the mechanic, there are some good moments as far as like emotionally um, exposing Spock uh, between him and Uhura. And the opening is incredibly fun. Um, you know, take it or leave it where, whether or not, you know, a spacefaring vehicle could su survive underwater, um, ostensibly not built to withhold up against that it, it would work. It may be where they're, where they're, you know, violating the prime directive to serious effect, uh, to Gregor's other point. Um, but the whole sequence is a lot of fun. It's a great Kirk McCoy uh, interaction um, and, uh, you know, the effect of the Enterprise coming up out of the, out of the ocean, uh, is a beautiful effect. And, you know, we get some irascible Scotty moment where he's like, what the hell are you doing to my ship, man? You know, and that's, that's those, those moments, those moments like that are a lot of fun. Does the, does Kirk's death land? No, not really. Um, and for the reasons you stated, um, now if I let myself enjoy the moment, uh, it, it does get to me because, you know, I, the characters regardless of their use in this and regardless of their portrayal, I still feel for those characters, even if I'm then robbed of that emotion five minutes later because Triple Blood saves Kirk. You know, that's 100% a fair assessment. Um, it is my least favorite of these three films and I will tend to not watch it. <laughs> um, I, you know, uh, I, I was trying to introduce my son, excuse me, trying to introduce my oldest to trek through these films because you know he's 16 it's probably more his speed um and uh, to kind of kind of make it fun and exciting and have a good time uh he enjoyed the first film um we were assembling my new desk while watching into darkness and neither one of us finished it <laughs> and it, i really felt like i had to go there just to get to beyond which is you know we'll get in a minute but beyond is by far the in my opinion best of the free uh but um yeah into darkness weak for a lot of reasons uh but solid with some with some strong character moments that are a lot of fun to recall the, the point you make about when the scene where Sulu's playing uh calling Khan's bluff on the Klingon old world I think you know it's great that Sulu got that part and actually got something meaty and important to do in a story much more than he did in the original series I mean he's most famous for running about topless with a sword from the original series and um, so that you know that was great but this is it's um Sort of symptomatic of the issues with the writing of the new films that what spoiled that scene for me uh, is, well, A, again, Khan transports himself from Earth to the Klingon homeworld, so why do we need spaceships? And secondly, why was it the Klingon homeworld? 
what did putting them on the Klingon home world and then having a big boxing match with some Klingons, what did that do? I mean, was this the writers, oh, uh, Star Trek fans, uh, I don't really know much about Star Trek, but I'm writing this film, so let's just have some Klingons in it, because they like Klingons, and then they serve no other purpose, you know, um, and that it's, that, it's that kind of, for everything good to do, they seem to just cancel it out with the next thing, and yep. that's what I find hugely frustrating about these films. And, you know, again, an excellent set piece and a great character moment with Uhura getting to show her chops, step into the Klingons, which, you know, is a redemption of sorts for how she was short shrifted in undiscovered country and played for a fool for laughs um, at not being, you know, a career serviceman at comms of Uhura's rank and stature would speak Klingon, let's be honest. Mm. And so a little bit of redemption, but again, great set piece, but the circumstances are ridiculous. And you're right. Why are we on the Klingon homeworld? What is, there's, there's no other than to uh, some tension with the Federation, which they're completely manufacturing at this point. Um, yeah, why are we there? What are we doing other than to slug it out and to, to you know, kind of get a little bit of progress in the story? Um, you know, absolutely good points all around on that, for sure. I think, to be honest with you, I think we can safely say that this one is well and truly in Gregor's uh, camp on this mm -hmm. one. Oh, um, yeah. Not that. <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, I mean, they, they had a brilliant beginning of a, of a story with John Harris and this whole, oh, some, you know, there's a terrorist and, you know, he's blowing up the Federation archives or whatever you know and stuff like that i thought this is really going to go somewhere but then when you started to see the like you say the elements of the wrath of khan come in you think mm, that spoils it because it's like yeah somebody's already done this before um we've already seen it we know what happens the one thing that really spoiled it for me was the moment where you know the famous scene you know the i have been and always will be your friend you know paraphrasing a little bit there but when they switched that around and it was Kirk, you know, I'm like, really? It's, that was something that should have been worth, left well and truly alone for me, I think. But uh, going back to what you were saying, uh, Dan, about um, uh, Sulu's, uh, you know, do not test me, you know, sitting in this, you know, I've got uh, all these torpedoes, do not test me, that moment. That was a great moment. But it was made even greater by McCoy. Um, <laughs> at the end of it, he says, "Remind me never to piss you off." <laughs> you know? Remind me never to piss you off. I mean, I mean man, yeah. Um. The the thing is, is and that's a again, lot of that. you know. Yeah. They wrote lines. They didn't write a story. Basically. No, exactly. And uh, and the thing is with that one is there was a lot of good character moments, a lot of good character acting by, like I say, as we mentioned, all the, the cast members. But it wasn't enough to save the film for me. Um, so well, Carol uh, Mark, we're not even talking about how Carol Marcus was wasted and over-sexualized yeah, for no good reason. Uh, and, you know, um, uh, we did get Mickey from uh, Doctor Who, though, in the opening sequence. Yeah. <laughs> He's done really well. I mean, he's directing films and everything now and getting, you know, great, great reviews. Yeah. Well. So, you know, very talented yeah. guy. So, yeah. Um, um, 
Definitely, definitely. Uh, I, I mean, I'll concede, uh, I'll concede to Gregor on principle alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, I don't know if that's the excitement the viewers are paying for, but... <laughs> Oh, this is what it's all about, Dan. This is what it's all about. So that makes it one all, I think. Oh, the decider. And I think I know which way this one's going to go, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, just join us. The British are coming. Um, so join us in a few moments. Uh, and we'll be back to discuss the third and final instalment. Well, maybe not the final one. We don't know yet. But... For the purpose of this episode of Spock the Week, it is the third and final film. So don't go away, we'll be back in just two ticks. Okay, welcome back for the last film of the J.J. Abrams Trek that we'll be discussing today. So, beyond, I have my opinions, but like I say, at the end of the day, this is about you two. You two are arguing the pros and cons. Um... And as always, it never goes as quite as planned, um, as was evidenced by the last film, because you both agreed with each other, which really made my job pretty difficult, you know. Um, all I had to do was shut Gregor up. I can see where this one's going to go, speaking to you guys off the camera. So, uh, Dan, would you like to kick us off with the pro argument for Star Trek Beyond? With that, yes, absolutely my favourite um of the three kelvin verse films the jj abrams films if you want ranks near the top of one of my favorite star trek movies overall uh because it is it is a lot of fun um but it is not without its flaws um i'll just tell you right off the top i was not a fan i am never a fan of seeing the enterprise be destroyed um i don't think that we should have had that in this film um but, you know, in the end of the day, that's the, that's the film we got. Um, we did get to see a saucer separation, which was pretty cool. Uh, but we've seen those before, and we've seen kind of the aftermath of that, uh, you know, saucer landing on a planet thing, too. And um, we did not see enough uh, of actual, you know, Idris Elba himself. Uh, so those are right out of the gate. Those are the, the things that I don't really agree with when it comes to Beyond. But... <clears throat> It is the strongest of the three. The characters, the actors have the groove for the characters. Um, the moments between uh, Spock and McCoy are golden. Um, and this has more than just character moments. We build some story. Um, we get connective tissue to, you know, yet again reaffirming that Enterprise is uh, the canon that survives both timelines. It's uh, Enterprise is the, um, uh, and, and ostensibly the, the events uh, that happened in the past in first contact. Uh, but uh, Enterprise survives the timeline reset, so it connects in both. Uh, and we get that establishment through, you know, the use of the Franklin, um, which is, you know, there's some questions about that. I've got some questions about that uh, as far as, you know, how it really fits in, but it confirms a lot of, um, you know, the, the events that we know happened in Enterprise uh, as actual, you know, Trek history, Federation history, which is cool. Um, but there's, there, you know, we could have seen, there could have been an opportunity to, to show us, um, you know, a lead up to, I think it would be more interesting to know ahead of time that that you know his character is our enemy 
uh, and see what got him to that point, you know, open with the Franklin. Let us see those events. There's a story there that's better than just the, uh, you know, let us see what happened in the, in the videotapes for real on film, you know, um, throw us that bone and, 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 you know, let us chew on it a little bit. But I think good use of that. Again, we get a great uh, Sulu moment out of that. But the, the biggest uh, and turns out currently wasted uh, opportunity we got out of Dion was the character of Jayla. Um, she's a great character. Uh, there's a lot of interesting story there, I think, as well. And given real-world circumstances and the loss of Anthony Elshin, uh, she, uh, you know, Jayla's character would have made a fine stand-in um, at, at that position on the bridge uh, for, you know, for Chekhov's um, role. Uh, but nothing could have replaced Anthony Elton. Uh, and, you know, we shouldn't, you should never uh, want to attempt to recast that role. Uh, so that replacing the, the, you know, that character's uh, part of the story, she would have been a fantastic addition. And maybe we see that. Maybe we still get to see that. Um, and uh, to one one bit of connection there, too, we, we see Sulu with a same-sex partner and their daughter, uh, 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 you know, uh, we can assume it's Gamora. Uh, but there was some there was some question around that, you know, regarding George Takei and what his thoughts and feelings were on that. He came out, you know, not necessarily in favor of that as a decision. Um, and just by luck, he came and spoke at the university that's just straight up the road from me um, some years ago, uh, the year that film was released, I guess it was like 2016. And so I was the last person in, not the last person in line, but the last person allowed to ask a Q at the Q and A. Uh, so after he spoke, because <clears throat> some background, uh, George Takei was in prison in a concentration camp that's located here in rural Arkansas um, in World War II. Uh, we imprisoned Japanese uh, American citizens uh, in concentration camps, essentially. They were locked up against their will and told to stay there through the end of the war. Uh, it's a black mark on American history. We've got a lot of those. That's a whole different story. But anyway, so there's a connection to George in Arkansas and why he would be here to speak. Um, and so I went and heard that and got to ask him the question. I said, well, you know, I understand you have some uh, concerns or some, you know, misgivings about this choice. And he said that it was because <clears throat> while he appreciated what they were trying to do with connecting it to his, you know, his real world gender and uh, sexuality identity, uh, he thought that it if it didn't fit Sulu's character, then it wasn't really a good choice for the story, right? Just because George Takei is homosexual doesn't mean that Sulu necessarily has to be. What other thing did we learn about him in that moment, right? So that was his contention with it. It was, it was a really well thought and well considered answer. Uh, and in the end, you know, he had an appreciation for it. He just wanted it to be an honest character choice. Um, and so with that, um, I, you know, I reconsider that every time I watch the film. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun, really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I like to refer to uh, the, the, the big sequence, you know, when we finally have to, we get the Franklin to leave the planet. Uh, we, we've got the swarm, they're chasing the swarm and uh, uh, you know, they play Beastie Boys uh, and it's basically uh, Beastie Boys Save the Universe. And that, that's my nickname for this film uh, because that moment alone is just, I mean, the visuals, the scope of it, 
um, what they're doing, Spock and McCoy in the in the drone, um, all of that is really good. Now, let's get to Yorktown Station. There's a whole lot of stuff going on there, which the concept of that, the way they manipulate gravity to change the way the story flows, it's a lot going on there. It was not overwhelming, but, uh, you know, kind of a, I felt like a, I don't know, like shortcut, right? It was a, it was a little, it was a little, it was a little convenient to be able to do that uh, to finish up the story. But overall, again, really good film. I like the cover art for the uh, poster. It's uh, uh, got a lot of, uh, you know, motion picture feels in the way it's colored and illustrated. Uh, but yeah, Beyond is is absolutely uh, my uh, favorite Calvin Burr's film. I agree with you. But uh, before I say my bit, let's go over to Gregor. Am I poking you hard enough? <laughs> uh, well, first, let's just start with George Takei very quickly, because I was at SPLV 2016, um, and when George was on the stage, someone asked him about that. And he gave a very similar answer, and his answer was that you know, it was about out of respect for George Rodden, uh, Gene Roddenberry. Uh, Gene Roddenberry actually knew uh, at the time that George was gay, and he wanted to make up. George had approached him about you know, doing an episode about um, sexuality and Eugenia said I'd love to but they just come off the back of Plato's stepchildren they were about to get cancelled and they just didn't have the, the time to do it um, and as George rightly pointed out and as the character that you've already pointed out Darren and I'm going to point out there was a perfectly good new character in there if we wanted to tell that story um, in jail anyway back to the, the movie um, Beyond is a, a film the whole is much less than the sum of its parts. You know, the, the, by far away the best thing in the film is the Bob Bones story arc. But it's a bit like watching DeForest Kelly and, Kelly and Leonard Nimoy and the film um, arguing. And that is, for me, is by far away the, the best aspect of the film. Um, great new character. And Jayla played, by, played brilliantly by Sophia Boutelli. Uh, she did a really good job. Really hope to see her back in the Star Trek universe. A huge potential there with that character. Um, great special effects. Um, not a huge fan of the, the new movie soundtrack by Michael Giacchino, but my partner Sarah really likes them, so I'm, I'm happy to bow to, to that. And, and now I'm starting to struggle with the stuff that I, I like about the film. Because um, it's a film of things that I didn't buy. I didn't like, I didn't like the store that destroyed the Enterprise. Also thought, once again, we're creatively bankrupt in the third, in the original third movie, we destroyed the Enterprise, let's do it again. Um, I thought it was completely unnecessary. If you're going to have a bad guy, you know, you've got to justify it. It's not enough to just have a bad guy. You've got to have some sort of um, empathy and understanding for what motivates that bad guy. Every bad guy is a hero in their own mind. And we never got that with the, what was the Idris Elba character name, I can't remember. Um, That's the problem. Crow, <laughs> yeah. um, Crow, we never got that. I never thought his motivations for what he was doing. So I, I was never invested in what he was going to do. And I agree with you, Dan. I mean, what's the point of getting a, a relatively big name actor like Idris Elba and then covering him in makeup and hardly, you know, hardly using him? Um, what was the point in that? It made you know, no sense other than they got to stick Idris Elbow in the poster. Um, and again, so just, once again, the film just left me 
ironically, it's of the three films, it's the one I enjoyed least in the cinema. But now it's probably the one that I think, yeah, it's it's the best of the three films. But that's a bit like saying Sharknado 3 was better than the other two Sharknado films. Um, so, yeah, I, I just wasn't you know, convinced by it at all. Um, and again, even the, the, the ending of the film is the same as Star Trek 4. You know, I, so I, I just, again, that falls into this category for, oh, let's give Star Trek fans something that liked in the past. Well, you know, earn it. You, there's too many things in the films, in all three films, where they chuck it in there and they don't earn the right to do it and they haven't earned the right from the fans to love it because they've just not put the effort in at this stage. And that, that's where I think all, all three films fall down. But yeah, it's the best, as I say, it's the best of them, but it's like saying Sharknado 3 is the best Sharknado film. Well, um, this didn't exactly go the way I was expecting it to, because uh, you've just thrown one hell of a curveball into there, Gregor. That was... Um, <laughs> uh, you see, the, the, the thing for me is what makes the third one the best of the three for me is the fact that there was a heavy involvement in the writing process and the story process by a Star Trek fan. It wasn't just some writer in a, you know, by the studio or the film, you know, the film production company that just goes, oh, I've watched one Star Trek, I can do this. It was, uh, as you may or may not know, there was a lot of heavy involvement from Simon Peck um, in, you know, in the story. And, And it shows because You've got that story arc with uh, Bones and uh, Spock. Um, you've got the characters. You've, um, I disagree with you, Gregor, as far as they didn't need to destroy the Enterprise, because I think that's what makes this film work. Um, because by taking away the Enterprise, taking away the ship, you're forced to concentrate on the characters. You're forced to concentrate on okay, okay. the people involved. You know, and I think it was. I'm, I, the, the, could, could they have done it without destroying the Enterprise? Possibly, well, but yeah. Well, couldn't couldn't Crow have taken the ship? Couldn't he have, you know, taken the ship and then yes. taken the ship to Yorktown? Yeah, that uh, well, or, or where? Yeah, a more interesting story is think about it. You know, there's obviously a technology on the planet that allows this absorption of whatever's kept them alive, change their appearance, slight change there. Um, it's just something to do with, you know, some non-aging field of energy that's been done before, and that's fine, but he's still, you know, and the, and the, and the reason he has a grudge needs to be a little bit deeper than they quit letting me shoot people, you know? Yeah. Uh, and as I mean, it's, as uh, I couldn't be a Mako anymore. Oh, that's weak, man. That's super weak. Um, and so those two things are easily adjusted. You can find a deeper reason for him to be upset or, or, or have a legitimate grudge or whatever. You know, maybe he was abandoned there by a rogue captain or who knows what, but he takes over the Enterprise and abandons, you know, Doomsday Machine style, abandons the crew of the Enterprise uh, and him and his crew take over uh, and they, you know, like you said, maybe go to Yorktown or maybe go back home trying to get the 001 um and so uh you know right there you have a much more compelling story for a reason for the crew of the enterprise that's been abandoned to you know they got to scrap up and get the franklin back up and ready to rock um and then chase down 
you know, and then maybe we have a Han style battle between the scrappy little ship and the big bad enterprise and the crew has to deal with, you know, fighting essentially their, their, their home. And yeah, well, there's a more compelling story in that right there. So, yeah. Uh, but overall, just uh, right in the next film. <laughs> well, due to collaboration, of course. But still, you know, I'll I, I will go to this. I have probably watched this movie definitely more than the other two, um, and but and, and even more than some of the like original and next generation. I've definitely watched this more than I've watched Insurrection. Well, um, that was a a lovely little sideswipe there from uh, Dan Decker. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, to be honest with you, I can't argue with either of your points of view. Um, I mean, to close my point, was it the best thing they could have done? No, but I do feel that it it did. Um, it was useful. So, um, going back to the, the the music choice. Now, I know I I've spoken to people who have berated the the choice of using the Beastie Boys as the uh, as the music choice in uh, in this film, I don't mind it in the sense that we've got to remember that in this timeline, in this this you know the future, that would be considered classical music. So why not? You know, we we still listen to Mozart and Beethoven and Tchaikovsky and all that sort of thing. You know, and it's the equivalent. You know, it's the equivalent sort of thing. So why not? I mean, we could have gone with AC/DC or Led Zeppelin or you know Iron Maiden or something. You know. Something decent, good, but that's just my personal <laughs> uh, my personal opinion on that one. Um, but but yeah, um, I, I think overall it was great. Definitely, definitely a lot better than the the second one. I mean, we can basically write that off completely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely, and it and it works as a standalone film as well. That's the beautiful thing about it is it does work as a standalone film. Uh, there is one thing that I found interesting that I found out recently about that. Um, the, the, I don't know what to call him, but uh, let's say the air traffic controller of, of, of Yorktown <laughs> base. You know, yeah. he's the one that's... Uh, that's the guy who voices Kirk's stepdad in oh, the first the, film. Oh, okay. Nice. So when so when you in the opening in the opening scenes when you've got the when he's in the car and he's saying you know if you don't get that thing back in one piece I'm going to kill you I don't care that's the same guy that is in the control room on the Yorktown uh, the Yorktown Starbase that's uh, doing all the sort of air traffic control style um, techno babble and stuff like that it's the same guy so I found that rather <laughs> I did not know that but. There you go. Uh, he's in just about anything J.J. Abrams does. That guy will show yeah. up. And he was prominent oh. in Lost or Heroes. He was prominent Heroes. In Heroes. He was the policeman and yep. Heroes. And uh, it was good. that was a good show. Uh, he was good in it. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's uh, that, that's a that's an interesting fact. But the Beastie Boys one, uh, I do. I am a fan, um, and I, I like the song choice because it connects back to that moment you just talked about, uh, where you know that's the song that's playing the same. Uh, when he's about to drive over the cliff. So uh, a little bit of connective tissue for it. Yep. Uh, and it's a jam. It's a good jam. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you know, they could have picked anything from that era 
uh, I, you know, as you know, as we get older, we all learn to deal with what we listen to in our, uh, you know, angst-filled use is now uh, classic rock and roll. So, you know, you just have to come to accept that it ages. Uh, and, you know, if, if the stuff we're listening to is still around uh, that far into the future, then like, we, maybe we did a little better than we thought. I also agree with you on the um, the point about the, um, the the Kroll character, the Idris Elba's character in, in in this film. There was a little bit. It's like like you say, Gregor, as well. It's like, oh, I'm angry because they let stop letting me. You know, I'm a soldier, and they could like I say. I mean, I think to be fair, that could be a film on its own. If the, anybody's listening, that could do that. You know, do it. Uh, I can't really nitpick too much about it um, because, like I say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So. Um, I'm definitely giving this one, you know, it's a tough one, actually, because there's good arguments from both of you regarding this. So I think this is a 50-50 split. I don't know, would you would you think that's a fair assessment of the argument towards this film? There's, it's a down the middle. We come to a complete draw. That's, you know. I think I think that's where this one's going to go. I mean, there'll be people well, watching that that's completely a well disagree. That's a well-earned football match, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> People gonna watch this on their TVs and they'll be throwing bricks at their TVs now. They've not got a result, so they'll be absolutely. And that's why we did the plugs at the beginning, Dan, so that they. <laughs> but um, but yeah, um, with the show. <laughs> but to be fair, that does mean that um, the pro argument has won because you did win. Um, you did win the first round. Um. It was a second round was a was a definite win for the uh, it's crap, um, and the third one was I think is a fair draw to be fair because like I say it's it's got equal amounts going for it and it's got equal amounts going against it. Um, so brilliant, brilliant hustle, guys. Um, so that's a win for the two thousand and nine, which I think Gregor's not going to be happy about. But at can the I, end of uh, the day, can I get a Stuart and Crying? Uh, no. <laughs> it's the simple answer to that one but let's let's be honest with you guys I mean one of the things that uh, and this is the reason why me and Dan have become uh, good friends over Twitter is the, the positivity side of Trek the, you know you can like it you can hate it you can love it you can loathe it doesn't matter at the end of the day it's it's this badge it's the ideals it's the it's what makes what makes it work for you uh, and you touched on a point earlier on in the discussion, Dan, where you said that you've met people that have been introduced to Star Trek through these films. Mm -hmm. uh, people that have known about Star Trek but never really watched it and then watched these films and gone, oh, what's all this about? And then they go, oh, there's the, the, all these TV programs and they go, fair dues. And, and the same can be said for Discovery and same can be said, uh, oh, I don't know, it's still a little bit too early to tell for Picard, but it's... Uh, at the end of the, the day, card fits the fits the theme for today. A lot of great character moments. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, 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 very, I, I don't know if you've watched my rant about Picard, but I, I, I'm underachieving. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. Series is the reality this way. We are definitely going to be touching on um, because we've, we've we've enjoyed doing the films. We've enjoyed reviewing the films as a, as a, you know, not in depth, just casual. This is what we remember. This is what we like. This is what we don't like. So we, de I think we're definitely going to go into um, Discovery, uh, Picard, if and when it makes it over here officially 
we'll do lower decks as well. But at the end of the day, we're not going to do a full-on review because there are already people doing that. So there's plenty of good podcasters out there that are doing that. And, um, but we're just going to just do the love it or hate it thing. Um, so um, we're just going to have just one last little uh, break. We'll come back and then we'll we'll say goodbye and do our... Um, oh, we've got to say goodbye to Dan. <laughs> I miss you already. <laughs> Join us back in just a few minutes and we'll... Uh... Well, thank you very much, guys. Um, if you've made it this far through the video, as always, what the hell have you been doing with your life? Really, honestly, uh, you're never going to get this time back. But if you have, thank you very much. It's much appreciated. It's all downhill from here now, Dan. You've come on Spock the Week. That's it. You've, your success is just... Oh. You know, <laughs> oh man, we're up and to the right, bro. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much uh, for coming and joining us. It's it's so nice to get people on and just to have fresh faces and and yes, definitely better looking than Sarah, which makes it you know she's been hijacking our show for the last three or four episodes, you know. So it makes her. Um, she's probably not going to be happy when she sees that. <laughs> I'm going to say that back to you. <laughs> but yeah fantastic thank you so much i hope you've enjoyed uh chatting with us and uh being involved with this it's been fantastic to have you so uh um yeah what would you um any closing thoughts any closing words you would like to get in before we yeah close the book? um uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, it was a, a lot of fun. I think we, I think we had a lot of fun, a good time. Um, I'm uh, open to coming back anytime you need someone to, to sit in the hot seat. <laughs> um, but I would also like to recognize and applaud um, <clears throat> both uh, for keeping it about the work and not the workers. Um, you know, uh, I like to say uh, I work uh, I work at the fruit stand, uh, as it were, and um, you know we, we're big on feedback, we're big on um, you know uh, recognition, uh, but it's always got to be about with positive intent and about the work and not the person. Um, and I feel like we kept it to that um, to a really strong degree. Uh, we criticize choices and not uh, the chooser, uh, and and I think that that's very important uh, because. You know, that's the difference between nitpicking and toxicity. Um, nitpicking is fun, yeah. you know. Um, you know, how many decks are on the Enterprise-E? Nobody knows. Is it 24 or 26? They couldn't even keep it consistent within the script. But, you know, um, but the thing is, that's fun to notice. That's fun to nitpick. It's, that's, that's something. Does it, does it ruin anything? No. Anything about what we talked about ruin Star Trek? No. Is it Star Trek? Yes. Um, do we want to see more? Let's give them another shot, man. We all we all agree these actors and their portrayal of these characters are the solid bits of this franchise, and hopefully we get to see them again. Gregor, any final words from your good self? No, yeah, I mean, as Dan said, there's a difference between you know the toxicity. I mean, as someone who, um, as you know, I don't like Discovery, I don't like um, Picard, I'm not a fan of the 2009 films. I feel I can. Put my case forward, um, but on one particular Facebook group, um, I said I didn't like, you know, that was a topic when I said I didn't like Discovery, and then I was told that I wasn't a real Star Trek fan. Well, not quite understanding that you're getting the concept of Star Trek. It's okay to disagree. You know, my favourite series is DS9, but it's not everyone's favourite series. And Nemo, you and I, you and I, uh, 
JJ Reno people that don't like it, Karen Egerif doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see me falling out with Karen about that. You know, and, and that's it, as I said at the beginning, you know, Star Trek's a huge universe. You're not going to love all parts of it. And no. People need to get used to that. I mean, that's it. I'm, I'm a Voyager fan. Uh, always have been. Um, it's kind of the main show that I grew up with, uh, TNG and stuff like that. But it's mainly always been Voyager. I never really got to watch D, uh, DS9. So, I mean, I've watched little bits here and there. But, um, but yeah, that's um, we are planning on uh, a podcast, uh, hopefully, uh, coming up into the end of the year next year, um, where I'm going to start watching... Deep Space Nine with Gregor, oh, um, yes. and we're going to. It's going to be my journey through, um, through Deep Space you're Nine. A, and I, I take it from your reaction, Dan. You're a big DS Nine fan. Gregor, just so you can kind of get the depth of my commitment to that show, my youngest son is named Benjamin. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. Yeah. No. Um. There's. I had Benjamin Cisco is very important. Um. Uh, Avery Brooks. Uh. His portrayal. Um. As both a leader, father, and uh, just a strong, you know, strong character. Uh. And uh, of strong character. Um. Yeah. Big deal. <laughs> yeah. That's that's one thing that you know. I mean, we could we could all just get drunk and watch that, but you know they're already drinking dr- drunk Space Nine, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm jealous because Gigi's going, going to get to see it for the first time. Oh, that's brilliant, bro. It's so brilliant. He's for a real treat. Yep. Uh, I was uh, not yet seven, no, not yet 18 when Deep Space Nine premiered. So um, it's been a strong, strong force in my life for more than not. And, you know, I mean, some of JJ's experience with Deep Space Nine is going to be similar to the one I had with Enterprise three or four years ago because I watched the first two seasons of Enterprise and lost interest in it when it was on. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it was cancelled after the fourth season anyway, but I'd never seen seasons three and four. And lots of people were saying to me, you know, you have to stick with it, you have to stick with it. So about four years ago, I think it was, I decided I was going to watch it again right from the start. Didn't see much in the first two seasons to change my mind about the first two seasons, although there are some one or two really excellent episodes in there. And it wasn't really, I mean, you know, episode one of season three, it just right out the traps at 100 mile an hour and that was it right till the very end of season four well till the last episode of season four obviously <laughs> <laughs> these but, are things um, we can agree on <laughs> but that aside I, I thought enterprise was uh, was excellent season three and four yep well definitely oh and we've even got a final word in from the cat there as well um yep <laughs> queso the cat captain queso so, um, like I say, it just it just remains for me to say thank you very much for for putting up with us um, once again. Um, yeah, brilliant. Thanks for coming along, guys. Dan, we would love to have you back on again for you know whatever we decide to do because we have absolutely no idea what we're going to do next. We just wing it, <laughs> make it up as we go. That's awesome. Well, with a few good, with awesome. a few ideas with the music and soundtrack and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah yeah so we, we, we've got a few things in the pipeline um so nice. yeah we'd, we'd be happy more than happy to get you on so that just brings us to the very end um if you've enjoyed what you've seen if you like what we do uh then please um consider going over to our patreon page uh, the, uh you also get your name in lights you be and you can get a mention a shout out uh, on the show as well 
if you don't, that's perfectly fine. You know, you don't have to, but we'd love you to. We also have our sister show, Marooned on SETI Alpha 5, which, by the way, Dan, we're going to have to get you across for Marooned on SETI Alpha 5. I think uh, I think you would enjoy that one. That Absolutely. one's a particular good one. So um, we'll uh, get in touch and just chat with us on Twitter, Gregor. Uh, we'll get that organised for you if you want to if you want to have a go at that. Um, if anybody else wants to have a go at that, please get in touch with us via Twitter. We're more than happy to get people on. Um, check that out. So, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, connect with us on Twitter. Uh, so, thank you very much. Um, that's it from me. That's it from Gregor and all the way from central Arkansas in the United States of America. Dan Decker, live long and prosper. Thank you for listening to Spock a Week. If you like what you are listening to and you would like to continue, please subscribe on the capture of your choice. Also, if you would like to become a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash SpockLeak. We'd be happy for your support, but we're so glad that you're listening to us anyway. Big shout out to all our listeners across the world, from the United States, here in the UK, from Germany, and also from Hungary. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you do continue. See you next week.